Hey everyone, it's Kieran Carr here. I'm so glad you're tuning in to our online messages. Uh, we didn't quite catch the start of my sermon uh, this Sunday, so I thought I'd just throw it in uh, as an extra add-in. I was talking about how monkeys are caught in some places in Africa. They set these traps uh, where the monkey is able to uh, grab a hold of the bait while their body is still outside the trap. Uh, as it tries to take its hand out with the bait while smelling the food and wanting to eat it, he can't pull his hand out because it won't go through the trap. Of course, all the monkey has to do to be free is to let go of the bait, uh, but because it's so trapped by what it can taste and touch and see and smell, it refuses to let go, and so it ends up losing everything. And what we're going to see in the story today is that a lot was a bit of a monkey. And the big idea today is don't be a monkey. Uh, Tight-fisted, taking matters into your own hands, uh, but be like Abraham with open hands uh, who was willing to uh, give over his trust to God and was blessed in the process. I also talked about an old TV show, TV show called Let's Make a Deal where uh, at some point in the game the TV host would give the contestant a big wad of cash and say to them, well, you can keep the money uh, or you can um, ask to see what's behind door one or door two or door three. Now, behind one of those doors would be a prize that was worth far more than the wad of cash that the contestant was holding, uh, but behind the other two would be something that was near, near or um, more or less worthless. Uh, and so uh, is that what it's like when you're dealing uh, with God? Uh, in the story, we're going to see Lot do a deal with the devil uh, and see how that works out for him. Uh, and in the story, we're going to see Abraham do a deal with the Lord and see how it works him for him also. Uh, the background to Genesis 13 in, and the last bit of Genesis 12 is that Abraham has kind of learned his lesson. He tried to take matters into his own hands and protect himself and Sarai instead of trusting in God's promise in verse 3 of protection. Uh, and so he went down to Egypt, but things went really pear-shaped. Um, but in God's kindness, uh, God put a plague on Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh handed back Sarai uh, to Abraham. And then in verse 1, um, you see how he handles his failure. And so the first thing we're going to see is how faith handles failure. And I'm going to go down to Egypt. And he'd taken matters into his own hands. But we see that he kind of learns his lesson from uh, things going completely pear-shaped um, after taking matters into his own hands because God had promised to protect him, but he didn't believe it. But in verses 1 to 4 of Genesis 13 in your story, we kind of see how faith handles failure, how Abraham handles his failure because he failed. He went down to Egypt. He didn't trust God. Things went pear-shaped. But look at verse 1. It says, he went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. See, Abraham realized that clinging to Egypt, the food basket of the whole region, was, was like holding on to the monkey bait so, so that he would be trapped. And that wasn't the place of blessing. Even though it looked like a blessed land, he was willing to let go and you see in verses 1 to 3 of 13 that he was willing to go back to square 1. Look at verse 3. He journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I to the place where he had been, had made an altar at first. 
And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. This is how faith handles failure. He gets back on track. He goes back to square one, the place where he was in Genesis 12, verse 8, where he'd set up an altar and called on the name of the Lord. And so here is the test of the kind of faith that you have. When you fail, does it drive you away from God, staying away from God, or does it drive you back towards God? Abraham got back on track and went back towards God. You see, if your faith rests in your own ability to bring you into the presence of God, to keep yourself on track, you're either going to denial and go, well, no, I'm fine, nothing really happened, I didn't really make any mistakes, or you'll fall into despair because you've gone off track. How could God ever use a person like me? If your trust is in your own ability to stay on track with God, then you'll go into denial or you'll go into despair. But because of the faith of Abraham, he gets back on track. He goes back to the place where he was at first. How is that possible? We see Abraham, he he ends up in God's presence. Look at verse 4. It says that he prayed. It says, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. He was talking to God again. He was back in fellowship with God, even though he'd gone off track. And the question is, how can a holy God welcome him back into his presence? Remember what happened when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. They were banished from God's presence. And they put, he put up, God put up an angel back into the garden. They were not allowed back into his presence. So But Abraham, we see here, he comes back into his presence. But I'll I'll show you how he can be back in God's presence. In verse 4, it says, It was the place where Abraham had made an altar at first. Can you see the altar there in verse 4? What's the significance of the altar? It's there again um, at the end in verse 18. Can you see it there? There he built an altar to the Lord. Now, what was the use of an altar in the Old Testament? What did they do with an altar? It only had one use, and it was... It was for making sacrifices for, for sin. It was for making atonement for sin. And so killing an animal in the place of a human, bearing the punishment that we deserve in our place so God's justice can be satisfied, but also his love can be fulfilled so that we can be brought back into his presence. He goes, place, he goes back to the altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. It doesn't drive him away from God. His failure actually drives him back to the altar to call on his name again. And friends, if you haven't figured it out, the altar for us is the cross, where the true and sacrifice is made for our sins. And that's where we go back to again and again and again. And that's why we celebrate communion every Sunday at church, where we confess our sins and we come back to the cross and we call on the name of the Lord, the place where our sins were washed away. Douglas Brown was a a preacher in um, East Anglia in England during a great revival in the 1920s and here's how he describes revival, his experience of revival. He says, revival is not going down the street with a big drum, revival is going back to Calvary with a big sob about our sins. You see, the, the role of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John 16, is to convict us of our sins but it's also to convict us of our salvation. And so Abraham, we see Abraham going back to the place, going back to square one, the place of the altar, the place of the sacrifice, and calling on the name of the Lord. And he experiences revival. He's back on track with the Lord. 
But now that he's back on track, uh, in, um, back in the land of promise in, in verse 4, we see that there's another trial and another test in verses 5 to 7. Uh, you know how the story went. We've just read it, that Abraham and Lot have prospered greatly. They've got lots of land, they've got lots of herds, and they've got lots of flocks. But there's not enough land for the two of them. Um, and so their kind of herds, herdsmen, um, their shepherds, are kind of fighting each other because there's not enough room for the both of them. So here we get uh, this um, strife between them, it says in verse 7. And so we see this conflict. We're going to look at this conflict from two different perspectives. We're going to see how Abraham looks and deals with the conflict and then how Lot deals with this conflict over this, um, this land. They're, they're having a conflict over property and the distribution of wealth. Have you ever heard about families getting into conflict over property and over the distribution of of wealth. Well, that's what's happening here. You see, the Bible is very clear that the gift of wealth and prosperity is, is actually a test. It's a test. It's asking us to what extent um, can you loosen your grip on those things? Are you like a monkey, tight-fisted and trapped so that actually those things ultimately have a grip on you because you're unable to let them go? Or are you open-handed? So that's the test, this conflict over properties. First, let's look at how Abraham responds to the test, because in verse 9, he says to Lot, look with me, is not the whole land before you? He says to Lot, separate from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, if I was Abraham, I'd be like, Lot, I'm Uncle Abe. You're my nephew. See that brown bit of land over there? That's yours. And this green bit here is mine. See you later. This is Uncle Abraham in a patriarchal society. And this is what's his. It's been promised to him. If I were Abraham, if I were Abraham, I'd be pulling rank. Very simply, very clearly. But it's not what he does. He says, you take your pick. You can have the first pick of the land. How on earth is he able to be so open-handed with the land? How is he able to allow Lot to have what is rightfully his and has been promised to him? How on earth does someone end up being so generous and so open-handed with their wealth and with their property? Well, I think it's one word. Faith. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about some airy-fairy, lovey-dovey, hallmark, Disney, I believe I can fly kind of faith. No, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is like an echo. Biblical faith is like an echo. Firstly, God speaks a promise and then we respond. Our echo is the response of grabbing hold on, uh, grabbing hold of God's promise. Remember what God promised Abraham. In chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, we looked at it last week. God promised him richly, I'll give you a place, I'll give you a people, I'll give you protection, and I've got a plan to bless the whole world. And so Abraham's like, God has promised me these things, so I don't have to go clinging after them, I don't have to go chasing after them for myself. God's promise is true, and so my, my response is to trust in him. God said five times, I will bless, I will bless, you will be a blessing. And so Abraham trusts God's promise and has an open hand with the land and allows Lot to take first pick. His eyes were fixed on the promise. 
promise of a better land. It reminds me of what James says in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. Abraham is showing us his faith by his works of being open-handed with his property and willing to give it away, going, I don't need to do this. God's going to take care of me. He's promised it and I believe. And so I think one of the best tests I can possibly think of for the strength and health of someone's faith is their ability to give away sacrificially. Their ability to give sacrificially and to give it away because it says louder than anything else, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. He's going to take care of me so I can give it away. He's promised to protect me. He's promised that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And so Abraham is able to give it away. One of the things that I've been praying for myself um, uh, for almost a year now has been for opportunities to give sacrificially, for sacrificial giving. And I think that's that's a conversation with God that Abraham is having in, I think it's verse 3 or verse 4, calling on the name of the Lord. Anyway, God has answered that prayer through this opportunity uh, through a pastor in Pakistan who had told me about these girls that he knew, these teenage and young adult girls uh, in his area who were being um, raped and beaten and having their heads um, shaved in the workplace because they wouldn't convert from Christ to Islam. This is how they were being treated. He showed me a photo of a girl with her head shaved and he said, this is what happened to her and I fell down on the ground and wept. And he said, my wife wants to be able to start um, a seam centre for them uh, to um, provide alternate turns, uh, um, alternate means of living so that they can make clothes and sell clothes and take care of themselves and so they're not getting treated like that in the workplace, but also so that they can be discipled with biblical discipleship and and loved and and have Jesus poured out into them. And he said, can you pray for uh, that we get the resources to be able to do this? Well, for six months, eight months, I'd been praying for the opportunity for sacrificial giving. And so um, I shared it with a few of you guys. And between us, we've been able to start two new seam centers for 20, 30 sisters in Christ who now are being able to provide for themselves. They're being able to provide for others and sell things. They're getting biblical uh, discipleship uh, and input and they're safe and they're getting strong in Christ so that they can lead others to Christ and bring other people into the seam center. Now, Do you think I'm going to be looking, when I get to glory, I'm going to be looking back on the money that we spent and on the prayers that we spent going, gee, I wish we hadn't done that. That was a terrible spend. Do you think when I get to meet those girls in glory who've been given a livelihood and have been set up for life spiritually, materially, I'm going to be going, gee, man, looking at that money going, I wish I spent more money on grilled. Of course not. 
we're going, how cool is it to be able to invest in the land of promise and to bring other people there with us, as many as we possibly can? So here's, the, the, here's a rhyme. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So how are you investing? I want to encourage you, what you can do is you can start praying the same prayer. How can I give? You see, we do it. Abraham was calling on the name of the Lord. We just do it in our own wisdom. We go, oh, I have to find something to give to. No, God wants us to walk with us. I love what, how Lynn reminded us at a prayer meeting. Um, what's his name? Um, Dallas Willard's definition of prayer, where he says, prayer is um, me having a conversation with God about the things we're doing together. So my encouragement to you is to start praying for opportunities to be open-handed, to start looking and to start praying and start giving. So Abraham is a lesson in what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight, with an open hand instead of tight fists. But now let's look at Lot, okay? How he deals with this whole conflict situation. Verse 10, it says, Lot looked about him. He saw that that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. But you see, just like the monkey could see the treat, but he couldn't see the trap, so Lot can see the treat, but he couldn't see the trap. It says that he could. He looked and he saw, but there's a whole lot that he's not seeing as the story goes, and I want to show you. And so what about you? The job promotion at work, the housing renovation, the new car, the new project, the new boyfriend or girlfriend. Is it a treat or is it a trap? Unlike Abraham, who called on the name of the Lord and was in conversation with God about his plans, Lot ran headlong into disaster. I want to show you in the text how this is the beginning of the slippery slope with his eyes um, looking but not actually seeing. In verse 10, it says, It looked like the land of Egypt. Now, we've got slight alarm bells there because Abraham has just come up from the land of Egypt where things went so pear-shaped. The other thing it tells us is that um, it's in the direction of Zoar, verse 10. And if you know the geography, the problem with going in the direction of Zoar is it's away from the land of promise where God has promised to bless Abraham and those around him. And he's moving away outside of the land where God has promised. That's going in the direction of Zoar. But most obviously and most dangerously of all, verse 12b, he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Verse 13, the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. He can see the treat, but he doesn't see the trap. So whilst Abraham in verses 1 to 4 is taking steps away from Egypt and towards God, we see Lot taking steps away from God towards the land of Sodom, where the people were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. And so, friends, as you make decisions about your direction in life, as you contemplate your future, are you calling on the name of the Lord? Asking you, asking him, Lord, is this a treat or is this a trap? 
And so in verse 12, the beginning of the slippery slope, you see in verse 12 of chapter 13, at first he's just near Sodom, it says. If you skip over to chapter 14, verse 12, quickly, then we see the progression. Now he's not near Sodom, he's in Sodom, it tells us, chapter 14, verse 12. And then by chapter 19, verse 1, it says he was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, if you read that, like in the book of Ruth, if you're sitting in the gate of Sodom, that means you're one of the, the gate of the city is where the, um, the court was, where the elders sat. So now he's one of the elders in Sodom. That's how um, much he's become acclimatized to the city of Sodom. And then verse 14, um, his daughter, of, this is chapter 19, verse 14, it says that his daughters are pledged to the men in Sodom. And so it's the old story of the frog in the kettle. Do you know that one? If you put a frog into boiling hot water, it'll jump straight out. But if you put it into water that's at room temperature and you just slowly turn up the temperature, soon it'll be nicely cooked. Lot is that frog. All he can see is the tree. It looked like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. That's the way it is with the world and the flesh and the devil. Dazzling, delectable treats in front of our eyes in a place like this, in a land of plenty. And the devil knows your weakness. What greener pastures look like for you, whether it's your craving for more success, your need to have more money, or your desire for approval, or your addiction to comfort, and all he has to do is hide one of his hooks in a juicy enough worm, and then he's got you. Hook, line, and sinker. You see, the problem with Lot is that he walked by sight and not by faith. He didn't really believe, Ephesians 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities and the dark forces of this age. Otherwise, he would have been calling out to the Lord constantly about his plan, saying, Lord, is this a treat or is this a trap? He didn't believe Jeremiah 17 verse 9 that says, the heart is deceitful above all else and beyond cure. Otherwise, he would have trusted less in his own decision-making abilities and more in calling out to God, saying, Lord, help me to make the wise decision. So he was too self-confident and too self-sufficient to be able to make decisions on his own. He wasn't walking by faith, he was walking by sight. And of course, you'll know how it worked out for Lot if you know the story. His wife was turned into a pillar of salt, famously. The city that he lived in was destroyed. This land of promise, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt... And his wife's ended up having sex with him, bringing about the tribes of Moab. Let's just say it didn't work out too well for Lot, even though he thought that was the place of blessing. And friends, I'm a lot like Lot. Galatians chapter 6, that's why I have it memorized, verse 7. Because I'm so much like Lot. It says... Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, a woman, reaps what he sows. 
the one who sows to please the sinful nature will reap, will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we've seen how it worked out for Lot. Now let's look at how it worked out for Abraham. In verse 17, God says to Abraham, after he opens up his hands and lets Lot take the first picking, God says in verse 17, Rise up, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. I will give it to you. I will give it to you. God promises again and reaffirms to him, it will be yours forever, he says to Abraham. That's how it works out for Abraham, with an open hand, trusting in God, walking by faith and not by sight. It reminds me, of the last book of the Bible in Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. Um, God's speaking to his people. He says, will a man rob God? But you're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not paying your tithes and contributions. Bring the full tenth into the storehouses. See that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. This is what we see, a blessing without measure for Abraham as he gives to God and to Lot the first pickings. And so in the story today, we've seen God put Abraham and Lot to the test asking them, are you living for this world tight-fisted or have you got open hands trusting in the massive inheritance that you have in God. But in the passage of Malachi that I've just read, God's actually saying, I want you guys to put me to the test. He says, test me in this way. Open your hands to me. Open your hearts to me. Open your wallets to me like Abraham did and see if I don't pour out more blessing on you than you could possibly ask or imagine. God is saying in Malachi, I want you to test me. See what happens when you live with open hands like Abraham. And don't be a monkey like Lot. And so as we wrap it up this morning, I want to ask the question, how can the blessing possibly end up being poured out on Abraham when we see throughout the story in chapter 12 and on and on and on that he keeps walking away. He keeps walking by sight and not by faith and taking matters into his own hands. So how is it possible that that blessing can be poured out upon him? And the answer comes much later in the story, towards the end of the story, where if you look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 2, Jesus' genealogy starts out as... Abraham was the son of. In other words, Jesus is the son of Abraham later in the story. And the answer to how this blessing comes out on Abraham comes through another encounter with Satan, but this time it wasn't in the garden of the Lord. This time it was in a desert after the true and better Abraham had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil came to him and he dangled in front of him a delicious treat and an incredible promise and said to him, you can have all of the kingdoms of the world with all of their authority. You just have to bow down and worship me. And Jesus said no, even though that's what he came for. He came to reclaim all the kingdoms of the world and to bring them under his authority. So why did he refuse to take that delicious treat and offer. I'll tell you why. It's because he had to bypass the cross. In order to get it, he had to bypass the cross. And if he was to bypass the cross, sure, he'd get the kingdom, 
the promised land, the promised blessing, but he wouldn't get us to be there with him because he wouldn't have paid the price for our sins to be with him, to enjoy it with him forever. And so because Jesus loved us so much, he chose the cross without God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The path of suffering so that he could get all of the kingdoms of the world with us to enjoy it with him forever. You see, Lot chose with his eyes, walking by sight and not by faith. And he chose the apparently easy option of luxury and land and ease and a nice place to live in. But ultimately it led to his destruction, whereas Abraham chose to walk by faith and not by sight, taking the apparently more difficult option of open hands and giving it all away. But it led to the blessing of all of the families of the earth through him. It led to the blessing of all the families of the earth through his great, 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 too many greats, grandson, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true and better Abraham, who purchased heaven for us, absolutely guaranteed, glory upon glory for all eternity by choosing hell on the cross in our place. So friends, in light of that assurance in light of what he's purchased for us, in in light of what we have, the true and better country that he's purchased for us, don't be a monkey, tight-fisted, perishing with this world. Be like Abraham, open-handed, open-hearted, living for the country that he's promised, that's guaranteed to come. Or as Jim Elliot once put it, Jim Elliot was a missionary to the Harani tribe in Ecuador and he died. They killed him when he got there. And this is what he said. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. She is no fool who gives up what she cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the faith of Abraham, that he was open-handed and open-hearted to others and to you because he was absolutely assured of the promise of blessing a people, a place, protection, and a program to bless the whole world through him. Father, would you give us that same faith? in your promise towards us, to store up treasure where rust and moth do not destroy. Father, may we be in constant fellowship with you, calling out to you, asking for your insight as to whether this is a treat or whether this is a trap. Help us to walk in fellowship with you. Open our hearts, open our hands, open our wallets to give to the work of the kingdom and the promised land so that when we get there, we go, I'm so glad I spent my life, my time, my talent, my treasure like that because I get to party with you guys forever and ever. Give us the faith of Abraham, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.